What's up, everyone? Welcome to Matt's Anvil, the place where you'll learn the tools to forge yourself a story for you and your friends. My name is Matt. And I'm Josh. And today, our topic is NPCs and where to find them. Breaking that down, we're going to talk about NPCs, we're going to talk about how to make them, um, how to differentiate them, how to make them effective, and how to give them meaning in your stories. Also, some things about them that I didn't know, honestly, until I started reading into them a bit more today. Yeah, absolutely. So, we're going to start off uh, with the most simple, but probably the longest topic in today's session, and that is, Josh, what is an NPC? NPC is a non-player character, essentially everything in the world that is not your your buddies and the, the, the characters they create. Absolutely. So, when breaking down an NPC, it's reasonable to note that there are a few obvious details. Those obvious details, uh, the first and foremost one, is their description. The best way to give the most effective uh, NPC that you can have is to give them a description so that players can think about them and see them. An example of that, and we'll build our own NPC as we go through this topic. Uh, Josh, name our NPC. Why would you? Why would you do that to me? Because I can do whatever the hell I want. Because I don't want to pick its name, so you have to pick its name. I just hate picking a name before I know the race. Okay, fine. I'll give you the race. We are dealing with a mountain dwarf. Oh gosh. Um. I don't want to say Thorin just because it, it's the most like. Off it's, the, literally it's literally the, yeah it's the, literally the the easiest one um this man comes out here and puts me on the spot immediately uh i've never even made an npc all right cool so we're gonna name him roderick iron fist that's why you're the dm man <laughs> literally How i could have said hey josh come up with a with a mountain dwarf character and you would have come up with a name like five minutes ago um no, because I don't remember the last time I built a, a dwarf. You're such a nerd. Anyway, we're all nerds. That's kind of the point of this place. So, already we have a bit of uh, a few stipulations. So we have our name. His name is Roderick Ironfist, and he's a mountain dwarf. That already comes with descriptors in and of its own. Uh, when people hear that uh, that name, they're going to think, okay, so they're dealing with someone short. They're dealing with someone stocky. Yep. They're built. dealing with, yeah, built. Um, they're dealing with a mountain dwarf, not a hill dwarf. So this one's uh, minor forger, like the the whole classic dwarf. Yeah. Uh, that you would you would see in fantasies. Funny enough, a little less dirty, even working in the forge, than the hill dwarves. Hill dwarves That's who true. are constantly digging in the in the mountains. That's true. Um, but still, you know, the huge stocky braided yeah braided beard down to like your drink your ale and all that they're always scottish they're always scottish because know. they're always red-haired yeah literally always red-haired that's i think wow uh made that a thing world of warcraft that you know that actually sounds about right yeah because because they started the whole thing with uh keep your feet on the ground and all of that was that yeah that started in wow dwarves said it because they don't like flying that's fair though yeah um, Alright, so we have our description, um, but let's get a little bit more detailed in that, because 
when when you talk about descriptions with someone, yeah, I can say, hey, Josh is a human. Uh, with a good beard. But actually, that leads into a great point. It's actually really unkempt. But... That's okay. So, Josh, since you failed to answer the first question, let me ask. Uh, what is the... What does Roderick the Mountain Dwarf look like? Because I hate the... Uh, I, I shouldn't say hate, but I, I don't like the overused red hair. Um, I would say a, a brunette just... Just because. Sure. Because um, even in like Lord of the Rings where they're popular, you don't see a lot of blonde ones. True. Um about five foot two if i remember correctly is i feel like it's a little high for a dwarf but that's fair he can be a taller man i'm not used to like the middle ground of, right. of characters i get you um all my characters are either really tall just or think of really think of a cobalt and think of a human and cut it in half <laughs> four foot five and a human five no. foot eleven yeah i mean cut that in half i'm not I'm sorry. I'm 6'2". You need to do better. It's a skill issue. <laughs> um, anyway. Again, So, moderate, stocky. moderate height. Yeah. Stocky. So, bigger upper body. Uh, and yet more doesn't stout. Sk doesn't skip leg day. Does not skip leg day. In very important detail. Yeah. Um, very important detail. So, do they work out? I, I wouldn't say worked out, but it's more of they're constantly busy. Okay. So, that leads us to another point. What's their profession? You said Iron Fist, right? Sure. As the last name? Yeah. That to me sounds like a blacksmith. Okay. And blacksmith is definitely a, a profession where you can build up your upper body. So now we have to figure out why he didn't skip leg day. Well, I think I have an answer to that. All right. Because we said Iron Fist, so you instantly thought blacksmith. Yeah. Well, what if we go one step further? He's not just a blacksmith. He's a blacksmith for... Uh, pugilists so he's a practiced monk which is why his whole body is toned okay actually that's really cool i didn't think about it like that um that would do it too yeah so now we have a stout 5-2 pugilist blacksmith by the name of roderick iron fist i like that I'd play that character. So now we have now we have a bit of a description. We know we know what they're a little bit more about what they're about. Yeah. Which is a very important detail. Now you can go into even more increasing details, um, depending on how important this NPC is. And that's a, a fantastic point. The more important an NPC is, or the more uh, constantly they're dealt with, the more you're going to have to describe them. So having an idea of what they do and how they stand and all of the minute details excuse me, is very important. So, for example, what does he wear? Um, during his work, definitely blacksmith apron, um, which is a, a thicker leather. Um, probably wouldn't mind wearing, like, slightly baggy pants, just because it's, it's something comfortable to wear. Right. Uh, Definitely, it's not gonna have sleeves on that thing though, just because they're they're hairy enough. Like they don't they don't really need. That's fair. They're they're not worried about the heat, or 
slag coming off of whatever it is they're working on. Yeah. Um, now, I probably bet he still wears gloves for a bit when yes. dealing with the hotter end of the forge. Yes. Definitely, definitely wears gloves. Um, just because it's, it's, again, the safe thing to do. Uh, Absolutely. And, like, even, even a character that, like, is a race that has fire resistance would probably wear gloves to do a job like that. Just because, like... Yeah, you take half fire damage, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Right. It's still it's still painful. Being burned is still painful. No yeah, matter it's not what. fun. Okay, so now we have a little bit more of a description. So he wears the leather apron. He's got leather gloves. Uh, he's got baggier pants so that it gives him a little bit more comfort, free of motion. Uh, we know that he's a, uh, a pugilist. Pugilist. Apologies. Uh, we know that he also forges tools for them. Yep. So... We can imagine that the description of him is a little bit more detailed now. It gives it a little bit more higher definition, and when players think about them, they're going to say, oh, I remember this one. He's this dwarf that does this specific thing in this place. Yeah. Now, even more so, you can get even more descriptive depending on how important you want to make an NPC. And I know we keep reiterating you can get more descriptive, you can get more descriptive, you can get more descriptive, but it's worth noting that the purpose that the NPC serves determines how descriptive they are. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, if so right right now we have a shopkeeper. Yeah, we have a, a shopkeeper, but like if he is the, let's say your party has a monk who comes from the same order tradition and tradition that he supplies, that makes him even more important because it's it's likely that he is going to be the main blacksmith that your party deals with just because you already have an easy connection to that shopkeeper right and that's one way to go into our next step which is relationships yeah the other another key detail that makes an npc feel more important and alive is giving them relationships between a your players b other important npcs or see the world around them. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, we'll break it down. Just like Josh said, if this pugilist blacksmith dwarf is of the same tradition that your party's monk is, that is instantly a sense of trust on the terms of your monk. Yeah. Your monk sees this, uh, let's say, way of the four elements. That would make sense. Sure. Uh, so, you're, the monk in your party follows the way of the four elements which means they they deal with elemental stuff a lot they they have specific ways that they play their character and along their journey they come across a dwarven settlement where they meet roderick iron fist this pugilist dwarf that follows the same thing that they do though also crafts his own equipment to use in combat or uh, or for just for sale yeah that is a connection that your monk is always going to remember because it relates to them uh, maybe not so much the party. They'll remember them as the blacksmith and then point to the monk. Yeah. But the monk will at least always remember where this dwarf is, uh, maybe remember their first name, and remember yeah. uh, remember what they do. Which, that's the first way to do it. The second way is relating non-player characters to other NPCs. And we can do that uh, using uh, kind of what I would consider as a chain system. So... Say your party's on a quest, and they have to f figure out a mystery happening in a dwarven village. 
if they didn't start there, the best way to get there is through connections. Yeah. So your main NPC in another city, say the mayor, the uh, the adventurers guild, what have you, posi- uh, propositions your party and says, "Hey, something strange is going on in X dwarven village." Yeah. Get with my contact there, Roderick Ironfist. He's a blacksmith. See what he knows and go from there. So that right there is instantly another relationship that nets your characters, your party, into the mesh. It allows you to go from point A to point B fluidly because it gives them a name, a location, and a reason. And a reason. And you can even make the mayor in that other town or whoever sends them a dwarf who was originally from that town that he's sending them to. And that would give him a connection to the town as well. Right. And so when you when you begin netting and and spider webbing connections like this, you begin to have a more intricate system. I wouldn't say do it with every NPC because of course would... no one is going to know everyone and not everyone is going to know someone. But I guarantee that someone will always know someone who knows someone else. And that's sort of what you want to go for in this sort of um, a system. Uh, when building relationship with NPCs, it's useful that everyone knows someone who can do something. Maybe it's not necessarily what the party's looking for, but it can be something yeah. that can hit the different points that they need. The final um, relationship that you can do is how the NPC relates to the world around them. And what I mean by this is we can add a little bit more detail about Roderick and give him more of a connection than just the town blacksmith. Because we can say that the mystery in this town is that, for whatever reason, hordes of kobolds have been assaulting the town and trying to steal their medals. But Roderick, being a pugilist and a monk, is one of the town's primary defenders. He puts down his hammer, he puts down his tools, his apron, and he arms himself with his own creations to step outside the city's walls and defend the city from oncoming attacks. Which, if he's a pugilist, he's probably just throwing on a giant pair of gauntlets and just beating the crap out of things. Which is absolutely reasonable. That could be where the name Iron Fist comes from. It could be even more so than just his tradition or his his style of craft. It could be that he wears gauntlets. It's part of the nickname. and And he gained a title from it. Yeah. So this adds a whole new connection for this player, this NPC, into the world. Now the town that the party is traveling to to understand this mystery that's happening because they were employed to, they have to not only speak to him because of he's he's the contact, but he's the only one who's seen what's happening. He's the active defense of the the town, and he's the one that the town trusts. Yeah. So if the party does something to lose that trust, it affects the whole town and thus the world. That the party is playing in. Yeah. Anything to add? Uh, just that my first thought when you said that is, uh, some parties are really good at losing the trust of townspeople. You know, and let's let's talk about that for a second because we'll we'll talk about this on on a player side now. We've been talking about most of this as if you were a DM crafting an NPC, but now let's talk about this as if you were a player interacting with an NPC. Ooh. Josh, give me a character that you have played before. Uh, anyway, just one. Doesn't I, have to be specific. I like Warden. Warden? Okay. I haven't so, played him in a while. So. so describe Warden a little bit so everybody knows. Warden is a um, 
Warforged Artificer. His his background's actually a homebrew thing, um, making him a Warforged medic. Um, because in, in Eberron there was this giant war, and the Warforged were designed to replace people, just so less people were dying, and then the Warforged kind of gained sentience and became people. Um, they were they were designed as cannon, cannon fodder originally, but it's doesn't work as well anymore. But he's a he's a crap. How big did I make him? He was oh, like six something. He's like six or seven feet tall. Um, but he he's try he tries really hard to have a sense of humor without knowing what a sense of humor really is. Um, without tone, I think is the yeah, word we're looking for. Yeah, he 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 doesn't. He's very monotone. Um, so when he throws out a joke, or what he considers a joke, everyone's just kind of like, waiting for him to say ha-ha or something. Um, but he's, he's pretty nice to NPCs. Yeah, he's a good guy. He thinks. So, now let's imagine Warden in our situation. Yeah. So, Warden has come to this small dwarven town, and... He knows why he's here. He was sent by the mayor to understand why these cobalt raids were happening. He was directed to an NPC by the name of Roderick Ironfist, the town blacksmith. In that sort of scenario, you would go up to this blacksmith and do what? I mean, first thing you do is you start with introducing yourself, um, making, asking who they are to make sure you are actually speaking to the right person. Um... And then just asking what they they know about the situation you've been sent for. Right. You, you collect information first. Absolutely. So, getting in information out of an NPC, which was the whole point of, of this, uh, leading this conversation is that I was getting to, can be done in a variety of ways. As most of you know, there are charisma checks involved with a lot of things when talking to NPCs, just in day-to-day. -day. Persuasion, deception, intimidation, uh, even insight to see if people are lying. Uh, which can be important details. Yeah. But what people often forget is that not everything in D&D &D is decided by the things you roll on the dice. Because, say, Warden, even with his no personality... Or lack of charisma. <laughs> or lack of charisma, came to this forge and, on accident, insulted Roderick. You... Say Warden was looking at his uh, his items for sale and thought one of them looked kind of shoddy. That would be quite rude. Yeah. The, the feelings that our pugilist dwarf would have to Warden would instantly drop. Yeah, his, his opinion of him would... Like... And I can actually kind of see it in that because Warden is an artificer, he builds things as well. Absolutely. If, if he just without thinking remarked on how he could have built something better i don't think a dwarf would take that very kindly no absolutely even not. as a it's sort of their whole thing even in warden's mind a constructive criticism right he'd probably catch some hands <laughs> i don't know if it would go that far but roger would definitely feel upset and he, he would feel irritated that yeah. someone had walked in insulted something and then said they needed something from him so the point I'm getting at is that as a player, the way you interact with NPCs is very important. And what I mean by that is, one, always play in character. If you're if you're playing your character as a, an irritating, sarcastic individual, 
play an irritating, sarcastic individual. Uh, I can think of one player in one of my current campaigns that does it phenomenally. Uh, he plays a character named Calcifer. He's a tiefling paladin at the moment. And he does quite well in playing an irritating, sarcastic individual. Yes, he does. Uh, however, just realize that if you play those kinds of characters, NPCs will get irritated with you. And if they refuse to help you, that can lead to other things occurring. And other problems. Right. And so, if we go back into our scenario, say Warden says it about a couple more things, and Roderick gets so angry, he throws Warden out of the store. After that day, Warden's affinity with the entire town it, would drop. Yeah, because... the Their main defender, the supplier of their weapons, and the... One of the best fighters they're probably going to have. Absolutely. Has now deemed them rude, inappropriate, and unhelpful. Yeah. There are means of gaining that trust and loyalty back. Yeah, rectifying that, but... uh, It is now much more difficult. Yeah. So... And and through that, your party is also going to have a hard time. Like, anyone who came in with Warden is also susceptible to the fact that, like... Oh, this is somebody you regularly hang out with or associate with, and he's not a great person. Cool. Any any like persuasion check that the bard has to convince him to actually help with why they're originally there immediately gets bumped up to at least whatever the next difficulty was compared to what it was. Or if not, just disadvantage. Yeah, and... Nobody likes rolling with disadvantage. No. Uh, so, when when it comes to looking at things from a player's side, always remember, uh, rule number one, play in character. But rule number two, realize that playing in character can affect your resources and the relationships with NPCs. Yeah. Uh, however, getting back on topic, we're talking about Roderick, the Iron Fist, um, the pugilist blacksmith who wears a leather apron, leather gloves, and baggy pants because they're comfortable, who guards the town and has defended several raids of kobolds against said town, and is a friend of the mayor who originally sent the party here. Have I got about all the information? Yep, and that's that's already really well fleshed out. It's a very well fleshed out character. So now let's go one step further and make them even more meaningful to the party in discussing what they know. Now, this is an important tidbit because it's not just what information do they have is useful to the party, but it's in general. So we can already list a few things. He knows how to fight. Yes. He knows how to forge weapons. Very useful. He knows what's happening in the town because he's actively defending it. He also probably knows one or two things about the attacks that are occurring. We also know that he has connections outside of the town. Yep. So... This already brings a lot of things to light about this character. He's very trusted. He has a lot of information. He's a very connected individual. And he's strong. Yes. These are important characteristics to know because they can make or break how effective an NPC is. Because I could have Roderick Ironfist, this town defender, and throw him away just by telling the party oh he doesn't know anything but you said that he's been defending the town yeah but he's just been fighting kobolds which aren't they're not gonna know a lot other than what they're told to do 
But if they had heard at any time what the kobolds were told to do, that's instantly more information. Yeah, that's fair. But as a dungeon master, it is your responsibility to make sure that the information that your NPC knows can be used or utilized in a way that promotes your NPC rather than demotes them. So if Roderick Ironfist has been defending the town for, let's say, a month, that's a lot of kobolds. That's a lot of kobolds. At some point, he had to have gained some information that would lead the party to step B. There's either a lot of kobold bodies all over the place just piling up, or they've gotten really good at like throwing something and then running away. And that's entirely fair. And that is in a completely different state. Because now we're not just talking about ally NPCs. Yeah. We're talking about the enemies in D&D or in whatever tabletop you're doing. Which, by the way are also NPCs. A really critical thing to understand is that the things that your players or you are fighting are NPCs. Yep. They have descriptions, they have relationships, they have motivations, they have stats. And all of that encompasses and making... A lot, and a lot of the time, the, the monsters have more already written about them than the NPCs. Absolutely. Like, they are more fleshed out. They have more tools... Right. Apologies. Um, yeah, they they have to have more stats and everything written down because like most most NPCs that are villagers don't need a stat block because they're not like it's not important. When you build a PC or an NPC specifically for like what we're talking about, like this fire, he's going to have a stat block that's different than your average villager but still that's because you've made him important the average villager has tens across the board and it's just i exist um because like not every npc that you put into a world is going to be talked talk to by your party like half the people in the town you're never actually going to speak to they're just placeholders for people doing things in the town the ones that are important are the ones that are named and doing things and yes sometimes your party will be like hey i'm gonna latch on to a random person walking around town and you have to name them on the spot and i'm not good at it but just because you have to name that person immediately and give them all of these things doesn't necessarily need mean you have to completely flesh them out because all you in this situation all you would have to do is flesh them out enough to be like hey go talk to the blacksmith the blacksmith being the important one absolutely uh, and you've you've really talked about the different levels that NPCs really require in order to be prevalent in the world that they're in. Now let's talk about one of my favorite NPCs right now. Josh is gonna hate me. Oh no! But he's one of my favorite NPCs right now. Um, and he was a completely throw off character. I made him in a whim. I randomly named him, and it's it's been a blast just referencing ever since. Josh, let's talk about Rad. I. <laughs> so to give you a little you detail you call him an npc anymore you gave that thing player levels it's fine just you for can the give, fun of you can, spiting me you can give npcs player levels i know I just in fact it. that makes more effective npcs because if anything it flushes them out more specifically anyway so so let's talk about rad so rad is uh for lack of better words a cobalt uh, he's a small red kobold that I made in connection to one of Josh's characters in the campaign that he plays with me. 
and I have had Rad pop up and escape from the party several times. Several times. Um, and it's very exciting because it causes, in this case, Josh, my player, an actual like physical reaction, <laughs> which is one of the things that you want when playing D and D. You want your players to get excited. You want them to get frustrated, angry, sad, but you want them to do it in the the idea of their character not in the idea of the game state and then you made him a good guy in the and then i made him a good guy it's great it's the, it. it's 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 great but the rad is also an effective example of an npc with a connection to the party that is not very descriptive he is a red kobold that's basically it that's that's, that's the like the only, only description the only reason he's so prevalent is because he is the kobold that was holding Josh's character prisoner. One one of four. One of four, but he escaped he was the, in the fight to free Josh. The only Cobalt who survived that encounter. And I, I jokingly mentioned that I was going to memorize his face and go back for him. And then he made me roll a... a, a what was it? Intelligence or yeah, something? Yeah, something like that. It was just the one of the dumb things I rolled a nat 20 on. It's like, cool... You know exactly who this is, and they are now your arch enemy. Yep. It's not the big bad of the campaign. It's not it's, Tiamat. No, it's, it's just rad. It's just rad. So I still can't find him. You still can't find him. I still don't know where he is in the campaign. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's so, actually a good question. Real quick. Uh, Annie asked, how old is your dwarf? So that's a very key understanding of, of how important this this dwarf is age plays a really large part of how both players and other npcs see what your create uh what your non-player character is and in this case if we make him too young he seems foolhardy yes but if we make him too old he seems grizzled and a veteran and perhaps a little grumpy and if you make him too old it becomes less almost believable that he's the main defense of the town absolutely so for a dwarf probably i'd say somewhere around 100 years yeah i was gonna say 75 yeah somewhere 75 to 100 is... right so which is probably about i would say their adulthood to like middle adulthood um if i remember correctly i think it's like 200 years for dwarves <sighs> two 250 or something something like that i don't Maybe. make a lot of dwarves my dad did um, I'm, I think it's like two and two fifty. They're like half. They're like half the life of elves, and elves live to be about four hundred. Yeah. So, but that is an excellent question because now, now we've put that he is a equivalent to about a fifty-year-old human, saying that he's seventy-five to a hundred. Yeah. Um. Well, no. maybe maybe no, he's thirty-five. Like, yeah. Forty. Yeah. Maybe. Well, still that that percentage would actually put him somewhere around like twenty-five to thirty. Which is still a little young, so I'd, I'd actually go a little bit older. I'd say about 100 to 150. Uh, just be yeah, just to give him the, like... 125, the, like, just, to, just for him to be essentially a 30 to 35-year-old human. Yeah, something equivalent. like that. Just because I feel like at that point, it's it's at the age that most humans are like, cool, I have... Like, in, humans in D&D at least. I yeah. have matured to my station, and I know what, what I'm doing. I know how... Like, a 35-year-old blacksmith is who has been blacksmithing their entire life. They would be Which a master means, yeah. of their craft. Yeah. And most dwarves who they are. start at blacksmithing as, as, like, a kid... Start very young. Yeah, they do it for, like, 100 years. And it's why they are one of the better 
blacksmith races. Right. So now we have even more details about this uh, that can go into both physical descriptions and uh, personality descriptions into how they affect. Yeah. But we're going to go a step further now. So we've talked about their descriptions. We've talked about their relationships. We've talked about what they know. So let's add one more key detail, which there's, I would say there's about six um, with with one little side thing in case it happens. Uh, so getting to the fourth one, Roderick, the blacksmith, is a pugilist that defends the town with his bare hands, with his iron gauntlets, thus gaining his name Iron Fist. Why? That is a good question. So we get to a very key point about our, our dwarven pugilist, our dwarven monk, which is motivation. NPC motivation is very important, whether dealing with an enemy or an ally, because it determines how a NPC will act in a given situation. If they are in a situation where they can get something they want, then they have motivation to do what said thing is. Yeah. Motivation is also a great way for players to get ahead in a argument or a uh, discussion with an NPC, because if they have something the NPC wants, they're instantly one step ahead. So let's talk about Roderick. So we know Roderick defends the town. He might defend the town because his family is there. That would that would definitely that would be one primary reason. That would be a, yeah, that's a good reason. But he could also defend the town because this is where his first shop was. If he's been here his whole life, yeah. that shop is more important to him than most people are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or hell, there there could be because we said he was a, a a monk. Maybe part of the um the monastery, monastery or the tradition that he was with maybe, came from this town. Yeah, maybe that's why he set up shop here is because he wants to help defend it. Or and this is what we're doing now is we're getting into the cases of why things act the way they do so you can get really deep with it for example the reason i'm going to say for for our building the reason he's in this town is because he lost his best friend here and now lives here protecting the town because that's where his best friend's grave is i like that so now we have a reason for why he defends the town he also has his own motivations he yeah. wants to get stronger um, he wants to perfect his craft. Uh, he wants to make, as all dwarves do, the most powerful thing that he can. I mean, dwarves are expert craftsmen. They craft magical items at whims. He's definitely trying to create the ultimate pair of gauntlets for what he's doing. Absolutely. But, so, we now break into the points of motivations and i would say their tiers or their scale of importance yeah so the most important reason is here is because his best friend passed away yeah. and he is defending this grave for the rest of his life yeah however he does have secondary and tertiary motivations especially if you owed that friend like a life debt with dwarves that's a big thing absolutely it's like uh but his secondary and tertiary motivations could be something simple like the secondary one he wants to be a better fighter so, he could be using these combats in front of the city to also improve himself. Yeah. He's gaining experience, he's learning from fights, he's learning to fight multiple enemies at once. Yeah, um, that's very important. Yeah, because kobolds like to just swarm. Exactly. The tertiary benefit here is that he could also be training his craft. 
he could be using the resources from which the kobolds are coming from to try and create for himself this immeasurable power pair of gauntlets. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, that the reason the kobolds are attacking is because there's a mine nearby, and that's where he's getting his materials, and they dug a little deep and found a cave of kobolds. And we can actually circle this a bit. Um, so now they're defending themselves, but like, eh. Right. Kobolds. Kobolds. But what if we what if we circle even further? So now we've we've discussed motivation. We've gone through the steps in what it is creating a basic, and I I would I would really say basic, even though we've we've given so much detail. It's because we've said he's a prominent NPC. Yes. So you're going to talk to him. But if and when you reach a point where you want a motivation or you want a what they know or you want a relationship to change in a character or in an NPC, you can easily circle back to do so. For example, we know that his best friend died in this town and that's why he's actually defending it. Yep. But one of his motivations is that he wants to create the best pair of gauntlets that he can. So what if the reason the kobolds are attacking the town is because he stole something from the the dragon's horde that is actually at the deepest part of that mine? And so now, what he knows, his relationship to the kobolds changes. Because now he knows that he has actively taken something and they're their, yeah, And they're hunting him to get back. This is kind of fun, right? So this is this is what this is what really makes D and D a blast. What we're doing right now, I I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but from one NPC, the creation of a singular person in this world has also created like two towns, a side quest, a an entire mission. <laughs> yeah, which is so. This is one of the greatest understandings of how D and D is made, not only played. D and D is just ideas that spark from one direction to another in a spider web that eventually makes an entire image what we just did we created roderick iron fist a pugilist blacksmith in a mining town that has stolen riches from a dragon in the mine causing the the city that he lives in to be attacked by kobolds which he then has to defend which he then has to defend and the party <laughs> is coming into this believing that, that, just a that there are kobold raids. Yeah. And so the what they know has changed drastically. From like a one or two level of important to the most important level of information. He will be probably the, uh, for lack of better words, the, the BBEG for the end of this little side quest. Not even the dragon. Depending on how you play the story, of course. Yeah. You could have the dragon come out of the mine attack the town, and now the the dwarf is going to give back whatever he stole, or try to give back, uh, because he cares more about the town than he does the item. Or, uh, you could have the dwarf uh, refuse to give it back, and if the party threatens him, or the town, or anything, the dwarf could fight them. Which brings us to another key point about characters. It is always important, and I say this uh, knowing very well how cruel your party can be please dear god always have stats for your npcs your party's rude your party's terrible always assume that they are awful individuals 
they're going to attack your NPCs. Whether they're enemies. Occasionally. I have yet to attack an NPC. You've attacked my enemies. Yeah, but they... <laughs> half the time, <laughs> what? your enemies what? start that fight. What about the other half? I don't, I don't remember the other half. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> you don't remember You don't remember Lang de Rosa's Cyan Wrath and how you challenged him to a duel? Yeah, but that was his MO. Like, I mean... His whole thing was, I challenge you to one-on-ones. I'm sorry. So I followed his rules I'm and sorry. then won. And then got lucky. I... I did. We that ended was, that fight. Oh. That, that was a lot of luck. It's okay, though. There it's was, fun. There was like three nat 20s. Which yeah, it's, is unheard it's of for me. It's great. Anyway, but so, please, like this is this is just a small snippet at the end of all of this. Please, dear God, have simple stats. Your players are going to piss someone off at some point. A dagger is going to be thrown. A fist is going to be punched. A chair is probably going to be bashed or used to bash someone's skull in. Just have some stats around. Especially if anybody in your party has tavern brawler. Always have stats for everything. Always, yeah, yeah. Always have stats for everything. Because that player Judo is, throw. is probably just going to decide, hey, this chair is just, like, here. Whack. Yep. It's it's not good. So just have stats. Give them health. Give them, like... You don't even have to go through and give them, like, designated stats for every skill or for every ability. Uh, just give them, like, a plus... For, for our monk, we'd have a plus three dex, a plus two strength, a plus one con. I would almost argue that he was less of a dex monk and more of a strength monk. Sure. Because of the whole black Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Three to <laughs> plus three to strength, plus two to dex, plus one to con. I would say plus one to int and wisdom, but minus two to charisma. Yeah, that makes. That, I would say that's a pretty fair. balanced character. Yeah. Um, especially give, for like a level one NPC. Right. Give him give him skill proficiencies in athletics and um, smithing tools. Yeah, smithing tools. He speaks dwarven in common, uh, and he punches the heck out of you. Like that's just just do that. Like, like you don't have to make an entire player. And the cool thing is, you can give him fighting abilities and whatnot. From like you can get him give him fighting styles without him being a fighter. Absolutely, because he is just a thing. He is. He's just an amalgamation. You literally just say rules. cool. He has he, this. Yeah, because like I'm sorry, monks, but the unarmed fighting style is legitimately a little bit better mm -hmm. because most of your monk stuff doesn't get past a d4 or a d6 until way later whereas i took a character at like level one with the unarmed fighting style and it starts at a d8 like a character spec into strength with unarmed fighting is gonna just beat the crap out of you yep it's it's awesome it is pretty crazy but it makes sense for a dwarf who is a pugilist to have the unarmed fighting style like that's his whole thing even as even as a monk if he's hitting you with gauntlets that's not doing a d4 of damage that's, right that's doing a d8 to a d12 if you want to humble it absolutely and that's a very and important thing too <laughs> if you are giving your character or your npcs like non uh standard weaponry don't use the the makeshift weapon rule or whatever is in D D. it's so dumb don't don't give it a d4 don't make it uh, your strength modifier that's stupid Give it an actual role. Make it more interesting. Make it so if your players, like the monk that we said is in our party, uh, wants to get those gauntlets from this dwarf at the end of this fight, that they can and that they're actually effective. Yeah. Um, Dude, that'd be cool. Right? Now I'm, now I'm thinking about making items. See? 
and that's <laughs> next week. But that's beside the point. Oh dear. So yes, please give your care, give your NPCs simple stats. Your players are going to fight them at some point, or they're going to do something to irritate them, and you're going to throw them out of a shop. It's always going to happen. Just yeah. Just please keep that in mind. Now, honestly, it's it, in my experience, it's been more likely to get thrown out of things than oh, to start Lord, growing yes. hands. Absolutely, especially with Calcifer. Like, oh my lord! Walked in. <sighs> this man walked into a shoe shop owned by a pixie, immediately insulted her, and she's like, "Cool, bestow curse." Yep. <laughs> and it was a really funny curse. Uh, he was cursed to have butterfly wings that he could not see, but everyone else could. Yep. And no one told him about it for, we like, had, six weeks. We literally did not, like, nobody, we laughed at him for a while. And it, he, he, out of out of character, he knew. But, like, his character did not know for, like, months in-game. Yeah. It was great. It was good. So, but, so let's get back on topic here. So, now we've, we've added a little bit more to Roderick Iron Fist's, uh, both his motivation and what, what they know. Yeah. In addition, we've also added his relationship to the dragon and the kobolds, and we've described a little bit more about what his character, like person, uh, like, like like actual character is, like the character of his person, not so much who he is. We we've added that he's willing to go in and take something from a dragon's horde in order to get what he wants. And it's not necessarily that he d did it to steal it or like. I mean, I think it's if it's from a dragon sword, it is pretty much to steal it. But but like, if he finds a dragon, the thing is, if he finds a dragon sword in that mountain where they're already mining, he could argue that that dragon is already a higher danger to the village. Which pissing it off by taking from it isn't the best idea. He probably should have instead just hired. You know, the party to come and be like, hey, sure. I found a dragon, and it's where we're already mining materials out of. Right. I don't want it to burn down my village. Absolutely. Help me take care of it. And in that case, he still gets the thing he wants. True. Without having to worry about the kobolds or whatnot. But since he's already done it, he could just be like, hey, there's a dragon under there. I found it, and apparently I pissed it off. Because he doesn't actually have to tell you he stole from it. If... You think there's more to his story, and you insight check him and find out there might be some more to the story. Maybe then you find out he stole from them, and then you're like, "All right, cool. Well, <laughs> you stole from a dragon, and that was your first mistake. That was that was mistake number one, and almost your last one. <laughs> yeah, but so that's a big one. So, so now, okay. So with that idea, let's let's shift around this character a little bit more. Let's circle back to motivations and change his primary and tertiary. All right. So now. He seems, because he's stolen from a dragon, it's more likely that he wants to finish these gauntlets more than he wants to protect the town, more than he wants to become a, a stronger monk. Yeah. However, protecting the town is still number two, so he's still going to send a letter to the mayor in another town to hire an adventuring party to come out and figure out why these, figure out why these kobolds yeah. are raiding. But we lead to another key point, and it's this is how you make NPCs more vital to your party and the story than you do anything else, and that's by uh, figuring out what they have. And this can be something in a physical sense. It can be something in a magical sense. It can be something in a theoretical sense. 
Maybe they have a piece of knowledge. Maybe they have a book. Maybe they have an item that they stole from a dragon's hoard. Which is fun. Which is fun. You know, it's very interesting. It's a it's an interesting concept. It's not called Dungeons and Dragons for nothing. It's not there's called gotta, Dungeons. There's, gotta there's gotta be, gotta be dungeons. There's gotta be dragons, and we've made both. So I'll tell you what. Before the Nexus opened, I hadn't fought a dragon. Yeah, now you fought several. It in my a, campaign, it took a while. It took a while. It took almost a year of the Nexus being opened for me to actually be, like get into a fight with a dragon. Well, that's because it took a year of the Nexus being opened for me to be there. <laughs> that's true. Um, I made deals with dragons and pathfinder that's exciting that was weird yeah so but understanding the inventory in the context of an npc is very important uh because obviously they're first and foremost he's roderick is a blacksmith he's going to have weapons armor and the ability to craft things he's also going to have uh combat skills so he's useful to the party in terms of defending the town uh maybe teaching the monk something new about the tradition and that's a that's another way to to do a relationship like if he especially if your monk is younger than him you could immediately set him up as a potential master yeah yeah as somebody who can train your monk so it's like and i i i do kind of dislike um referencing critical role on here just because like but it, but they, it, they are they a do good basis. So, they do things so well. They do like bow training ever so off ever so often mm-hmm. to essentially unlock her monk abilities as she leveled up. Right to, to show that she was gaining these abilities. So it's not like oh I leveled up now I can do this stuff. If you That's fair. if you throw your your monk into this into an arena with him where he's like cool fight me and I'm gonna show you how to do some stuff that you should be able to do you just haven't really experienced yet that could be an awesome way to show your character growing absolutely and that and you are you are absolutely right so it so knowing what a an npc possesses changes their relationships their descriptions the things they know what they're motivated to do yeah it affects all four of the other things that we've talked about it could even affect their stats because if they have a suit of armor or a pair of iron gauntlets that they've infused with magic, their stats change. Yeah. So it's always worth noting, even if it's in a small list, this is what they have. And it's and go from there. The final, I would say probably the most important thing that an NPC has, or or uh, aspect of an NPC, because this relates directly to the party, and everything else we've talked about is what does the NPC say? And I say this is so important because in our scenario, scenario, words is hard, Roderick Ironfist, when he first meets the party, is going to say he doesn't know why the kobolds are attacking his town. Yeah. He's going to say that they had been using a mine for a while and taking the ore out of it, and then all of a sudden, they broke into a cavern, and all of these kobolds seem to be coming after them. He's going to say that some danger lurks deep in the mines, but him alone is not strong enough to get in there. He's going to say all these things about the things that he quote-unquote knows, but he's not going to say everything he knows. He's going to give you the truth, but not all of it. Right. Which is a very important detail about NPCs. If you have an NPC whose motivation is deferring slightly from the party 
Because in this case, the party wants the village to be safe, but the but Roderick, our pugilist blacksmith who was stolen from a dragon, doesn't want anyone finding out that he stole from a dragon. Yeah. They're like terms, but one does not need all the information of another. Yeah. So it's it's very important to look at their motivation, what they actually know, and their relationships to different things, like the things they have or the things that they have taken from, to know how they're going to react when questioned about things. Knowing what your NPC is going to say, and this could be something as simple as just knowing what accent they're going to speak in. Knowing what your char- your NPC, your non-player character, is going to say is vital for making them effective against a party. And I don't mean just in the case of Roderick. Yeah. If you know that your party is very, like, grateful or, uh, or likes an NPC, you can use that NPC to pass along ideas or to invoke different emotions from characters in order to give them a deeper experience. And I, I just thought about it. We, we mentioned earlier that we were going to give Roderick a minus to deck or charisma. Mm-hmm. That means he's not as deceptive, which means that would be like saying, oh, because he's not good at deceiving people because he doesn't do it very often, he stutters a bit when he's giving them the information, which prompts them into being like, maybe there's more to the story. Maybe Absolutely. he's not saying everything. And maybe, maybe you're not doing uh, Roderick, the, uh, the Iron Fist, uh, Pugil's blacksmith in your world. Uh, and maybe he's not a dragon thief. And maybe it's not even a him. Yeah. But as long as you know what your characters or what your, what your NPCs are going to... What, oh, sorry. Circling back. As long as you know what motivates them, the information they know, what they have, and their relationships... The things that your NPC says is going to impact your campaign 100% all the time, every time. Yeah. And an example of this in my works, I would say I have two NPCs in my game that without them, I wouldn't have been able to depict the ideas and the concepts that I have had. Let me see if I can guess one. Sure. Calypso. Absolutely. <laughs> so for those who don't know, which would be mostly everybody, yeah. uh, in my, my D&D game... I have an NPC who is a shopkeeper. Her name is Calypso, and I based her exactly where you'd expect. The Greek myth of Calypso, the daughter of Atlas, who was cursed to always live on an island uh, alone, except for the times where she is given a hero who will always leave her. That is the curse that she has been born with. In my world, Calypso is a shopkeeper who basically lives under the same curse. Uh, in all of her lone, uh, alone time, she has gathered thousands upon thousands of years of experience and is a master craftswoman. So the party can meet her but once, technically. Yep. I've broken that rule several times. Um, but in those moments, they can become close to her. And in that closeness, they can get a magical item of their choice. It can be anything. Uh, and I have given my party members legendary items before. However... That connection has caused a lot of my characters to rely on that relationship more than I had expected. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah. Take Ballman, for example. 
Uh, I had a, a a bard rogue in my campaign. His name was Balmond. He was a half-elf. He was a wanderer. Um, he was in a mercenary group for a while. That's how he connected with the party. When he first met Calypso, he was instantly starstruck. Yep. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, like I could almost see the hearts in this guy's eyes uh, as as he tried to learn about Calypso. Learned everything he could and like found out about the curse almost immediately, and it was like. I'm breaking that. <laughs> but I could see in his expression that the more I talked about what Calypso knew and what her relationship was with the world around her, that he was falling more and more into wanting, like, into the connection of that relationship. And it didn't just happen with him. I mean, take Nanon, for example. I didn't know what to ask for. And I had jokingly started trading my cooking because, like, it just, it was something funny that I thought about. And I was like, this cobalt's just going to learn how to cook. And I don't know. It's just a funny little extra thing to do for a character. Absolutely. And she's like, he's like, I don't know what to ask for. Because, like, I, I feel like I have the magic items I need. Like, I, I have, have my big old shield for stuff. And she just, like... It was like, cool, kisses him on the forehead, and he just gained expertise in cooking, and it was great. And, yeah. But ever since then, your attempts to go back to her, because Nanan didn't know about her curse. He didn't really ask. Didn't understand it. Yeah. He's, he's not bright. He, he, he didn't quite understand it. So when the opportunity came to guide the rest of the party to Calypso's door... He didn't see it. And got sad over it. Yeah. And you got sad over it. You got sat out a lot of instances. In this I was campaign. not expecting you to be like, "Cool, you can only visit once." Right, because I didn't and tell you everyone. Did. Yeah, I didn't tell everyone immediately. So the cobalt just curled up in a ball outside of the shop while everybody else went in and was just like, "Cool, I'll just I'll just wait here, I guess." Yep. Eat some bacon. The other NPC that I was very proud of because of the relationships that it created and how effective her description was. Was I so I'm a big uh, Greek mythology fan. I use Greek myth in a lot of the things I do. So I had in my campaign. To great effect. My bad. Can you stop breaking the things in my house? I can try. Anyway, so I had in my game a character that I named Artemis. Uh, she was a wandering ranger, and when the party met her, it was almost like a shell shock. If I if I had to like give a word. Because basically what it was, at the time I only had four players, Nanan was one, and I had another one that was a uh, Amethyst Dragonborn by the name of Seraphim. These two were both draconic in nature, so when they got close and I started describing how they had shivers down, your, their, down their spines and their bodies started to shake as their eyes focused in on not, not just her, yeah, not the person, but the weapon she carried... Uh, which I had described was a longbow that seemed to be completely made out of chromatic dragon parts. Uh, the 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 alms were made from scales, the the string from sinew, and finally the grip from a s single dragon bone. Uh, it it resonated with them, and they became cautious of this individual for the entirety of the campaign. Yeah, uh, which was a very cool form of relationship uh, the motivations they didn't really know they learned slowly piece by piece that she was seeking someone uh, but in their interactions it was very uh, moot 
Like, the, the idea was a very moot point. Yeah. Uh, because it was more of, at what moment is she going to turn that bow on us that everyone was thinking about? Which it never happened. at least happened. The, the two of us. Yeah. Which it never happened, but it... You know, the two who had to roll wisdom saves to not just, like, crap our pants like, immediately <laughs> upon seeing her. Because that happened. Absolutely. We had to roll wisdom saves to avoid fear of the weapon and therefore the person using it. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was a very... I, I applied what they had to make them a more interesting character. And um, you made some really good NPCs. I have tried really hard. You've basically seen the entire process of which that I, I do to make an NPC throughout the course of this uh, this talk. And so we're gonna we're gonna circle back and, and finish the, this this whole thing with a few with, with a few key points. To make an effective NPC in your campaign, you have to do three things. You have to give them a purpose. Roderick's purpose was he's the guardian of the town. He guided the party deeper into uh, the story. And he and, had a secret. And he had a secret. The other that, that leads into point two. Give them other aspects. Roderick has a secret. He's, he's the reason that they're attacking the town. He's also a very successful blacksmith, so he has a means of relating to the party other than just being an NPC that says, hey, go to this place. He's also a master fighter. He knows how combat works, and during, let's say, one of the raids on the, par on the town, he aids the party, deepening the relationship and making him more effective. The final thing is make them distinctive. Don't let your character or your your players go into a town and meet the same Jif or Jim. Sorry, Jif. <laughs> oh man, words is hard. Somebody needs peanut butter. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, words is hard. Sorry. Don't let them mean meet the same Joe, the same uh, the same woman, the same guy everywhere they go. Just in different hats. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, if anything, that's what a DM is. It's just I've, a, it's I've just seen, a guy in different hats. I have seen somebody do that, like literally, like not for every NPC, but there was like three different stores that he described as being like attached to each other, and <laughs> you walk in, and it whichever door you walk in, there's this long bench or counter counter that's the word i'm not good at english word um, hard. and each each door when you enter has a bell and you ding it and you hear the halfling scurry over with his um stool <laughs> he gets it over to where you are at the door grabs a specific hat puts it on talks to you and you're like cool and then you like walk down the counter you see him like take the hat off drag the the stool <laughs> over put on a different hat and get up again and you're just like Oh, that's how this store works. Ironically, that's an effective NPC. But, I, it but was hilarious to, but because it was distinctive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> giving your, your NPCs... Uh, of course it was. Giving your NPCs a distinctive feature. In our case, uh, we gave several. He's a key NPC. He's a bit mischievous. He's got that stutter when he lies to the party. Yep. Um, he has... A, multiple reasons to defend the town that he does and he's a master monk to relate to your own party there's a lot of things that make him distinctive and even if they don't catch on to the the stutter mm -hmm. you can then have him aid the party in a fight against the the town 
And then if any of your characters speak Draconic and they hear the kobolds be like, hey, it's that guy who stole, that's another way to be like, cool. They didn't either decide to make an insight check or didn't roll high enough, which can sometimes feel meh, but like... Absolutely. If... There are lots of ways to get information around, so... So... It's fun. Let's... So let's start closing this conversation down, because we've talked a lot. I also to, forgot to talk about the, the loyalty feature that we I read about today. Well, we, cool. we kind of talked about it. I mean, not in the specific terms of things, but... Yeah. Yes, D&D does have a loyalty system that exists that, as you relate to NPCs, you can tick their loyalty up or tick their loyalty down, and... The higher or lower it gets, the more likely they are to do things. Yeah, didn't know about that until literally today. And if you're not sure how to, like, what moments in a conversation or in a um, relationship to cause things to happen, uh, that's a good tool to use in order to uh, kind of help ease that pressure. So now you've got a, now you can set a counter of at plus three loyalty. Uh, they're more likely to answer the party's questions yeah. or maybe even tell them that he's, he took something from the mines. But at minus three, it's more of he doesn't even want the party's help defending the town. He thinks them rude and cruel and and doesn't want them anywhere near anything. Yeah. Um, so. I guess we did kind of talk about it. Yeah. We, words. Yeah. We, we just didn't say that there was necessarily a tool that they could use point-wise that would benefit them uh, in, in a... If you can't make it fluid, you can do it in points to make it more, like, simplistic. You can you can ease the damning is hard enough. Like it's it's confusing enough. Like base. That sometimes you just sometimes need, you just need a, a little tool. bit of, a little bit of simplicity. And I just wanted to make sure that I didn't forget to say oh, anything. No, absolutely. Simplicity is the biggest key. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've gone very in depth with a singular NPC, and from it, born an entire quest. Yeah. But you don't have to do you that. You don't for all have of your to do NPCs. that for all of your NPCs. Dear God, if your if your party is going through a town just to travel and they want to buy something, please, Jesus, don't even name the shopkeep. Just say you walk up to the blacksmith and you buy whatever it is you're looking for. If they're not specifically sent there to meet somebody for a quest, you don't have to do this much work, dude. Right. Lord. If you want an effective NPC, even as just a basic shopkeeper, give them a purpose. If their purpose is... I want to sell my stuff. Let me rephrase that. Give them enough of a description to match their purpose. Yeah. Which I think is the whole lesson for what we've talked about today. If you are making an NPC that is a vital part of your story, who has stolen something from the dragons, caused a town to be attacked, and is now defending that because he wants to craft an, a, a, an insurmountable insurmountable uh, weapon. Cool. You know to make him incredibly descriptive. You know to name him Roderick Iron Fist, the pugilist blacksmith who's defending the town that his best friend died in. Now we have to start counter for that sentence. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've said it a few times. Um, but that's great. Go descriptive with it. But if their purpose is to sell your fighter a goddamn sword... His purpose is to sell him a goddamn sword. He doesn't even need like a name. A shield, or like he finally saved up enough money for plate because dear lord is plate expensive. Right. So Which is dumb. I don't like it. So when making an NPC, be like so. So we're gonna get to the closing word. When making an NPC, be 
knowledgeable or be forward with their descriptions, their relationships, what they know, motivation, what they have, what they have to say, and simple stats in case your party fucks up. To or make fucks an, around and finds out. To make an effective NPC in your campaign... Give them a purpose. Give them as many aspects as you think they need. And, again, make them distinctive. Like, one halfling who wears three different hats because he happens to own three different stores that are connected to each other. But, gods above, please remember, make the description of your character based on what their purpose is. The better, the better and the bigger the purpose, the more descriptive. This is going to help you as a dungeon master. This is going to help you as the players. This is going to help both of you interact on a deeper level and make your games more meaningful. And that's all we're trying to do here. At Matt's Anvil, the only thing we want to do is we want to, as I said, give you the tools to forge yourself a story for you and your friends. Because that's all that matters. Like always, the number one rule in Dungeons and & Dragons and have, everything. Have and fun. Have fun. Please, dear God, just have fun. If you're not having fun, change what you're doing. But yeah, all of this is great, especially for homebrew. Or, Abs absolutely. Or, home, or world building. Like, or, well, even even if you're playing modules. If, if they give you yeah. an NPC, do this. Make Honestly, a list. Yeah. yeah, like, just because you're running the starter kit of Ice starter kit of Icewind Dale. If it gives you an NPC and you read through them and you're like, this is kind of lame, Get, change Make them it. a list, yeah. Change it. Make it your own. Send because it. remember, and we talked about this last time, you can play one campaign 100 different times. You can DM a campaign 100 different times. But that does not mean you're going to run the same, same thing ever. every time. You're always going to change something. And if what you change is how detailed certain NPCs are, I guarantee you that's going to be one of the better 100. Yeah. So, as we come to a close for the third time, because we can't stop talking, descriptions, relationships, motivation, stats, a purpose, and distinctive are the key features that make an NPC. The more distinctive they are the more important they should be or vice versa the more important they are the more distinctive they should be but beyond all else please dear god have fun yep thank you all so much for listening we are live every monday from at seven o'clock on matt does everything on twitch it's every other monday it is every other monday thank you yep. we are live every other monday at seven o'clock Central Standard Time on Twitch at Matt Does Everything. Uh, live feeds of these videos, apologies, live recordings of these videos will go up on YouTube the same day at the same time, as well as podcasts of the previous week going up when these are recorded. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching. Thank you for sticking with us. Josh, thank you for being here. I love being here. It's fun. It's fun. And I get to learn things because I literally have never made a piece an npc before and now we've made and the entire one made a dwarf absolutely so thank you all so much for for watching thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you in the next one bye everybody peace